You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic Podcast Show. I'm Jessica. I'm Carissa. And I'm Emma. And yes, we are joined today by the lovely Emma. And we're going to dive in today to PCOS. So the reason Em is with us today is one, because she's awesome. And two, <laughs> probably because she's able to, because she's not spewing her guts out. <laughs> yeah. And three, because she has a lot of um, personal um, background with PCOS that she'll be sharing. So this this podcast really been inspired by this in particular. But we're also talking about how Carissa, in particular, too, had a post she popped up recently on her socials, which had a lot of engagement from a just one of her clients that um, she's been working with with PCOS and really profound changes um, with her skin. So, yeah, we're going to be diving into PCOS and what it is and um, unpacking it as far as all the different sorts of, um, I guess, components that are involved and potential treatment options. But to get started, Em, do you want to... (laughs) Chris is already putting her hand up. (laughs) Of course. No, it's because I like the little button that I can click so you guys actually physically see me light up when I have something I want to say. <laughs> You're putting your hand up at the same yeah. time. <laughs> what I was going to say was I think the biggest thing that has triggered it, it'll trigger this podcast, is because obviously Em shared her story about, you know, which you'll obviously chat about, but some of you are going to be very familiar with it anyway, about, you know, pretty much, I'm going to say like in inverted commas, curing her PCOS. Um, and then I obviously popped that post up about a client of mine who like, yeah, same, very similar stuff, like very amazing, you know, improvements in her skin, but also no cyst then present um, on her ovaries with an ultrasound. Um, but I think the biggest thing for us is that we as practitioners probably take it for granted a little bit that it's just common knowledge that PCOS is a condition that we can work with and do amazing work with and sometimes even get to the stage where someone is pretty much asymptomatic, hmm. which we would say probably not, you know, having PCOS anymore or at least, you know, very dramatically reduced in terms of whether or not it would even be called PCOS. Um, but for everyone else out there, I think that is commonly misunderstood and they seem to think that whether or not you have PCOS or people who know about PCOS is that it's just something that you do have and then there's not much that can be done about it from a nutritional and supplement point of view. Yeah. So now you can talk, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> talk about stealing the limelight straight up. <laughs> oh, can't do it right, Ness. <laughs> Today, today we actually, I organized a run sheet for the three of us. Usually Chris and I don't have one, but I was like, this is just going to need some form of structure. And, uh, but she's already gone rogue. She's already totally jumped in there. I was polite enough to put my hand up. I didn't just butt in, I put my hand up. So virtually and physically. Em, do you want to give a little bit of a rundown on what PCOS is 
um, and how how it might be. Uh, I guess there's two things as far as what it's generally defined as and, and the overall diagnosis that people um, may may or may not know of when it comes to PCOS. Yes. PCOS is a funny one because it's, I wouldn't class it as a, I don't think it is classed as a disease per se. Um, PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I guess it's viewed more out, more as a set of symptoms um, which come together, all together, which create this PCOS diagnosis. A lot of people are not diagnosed correctly with PCOS, which is, I guess, something we'll talk about. But also, um, I think it's also underdiagnosed as well. Um, the key symptom, though, is an issue with uh, ovulation or impaired ovulation, and that's what can create, um, yeah, it, it, it's all about looking at ovulation and what is actually causing this ovulation to be impaired, to be delayed, um, and what are the hormones involved around that. So generally, we're looking at, with this impaired ovulation pattern, We the, what, the main reason usually is because of um, an androgen excess or high, high amounts of male hormones, I guess, um, in the system, and there's... A heap of reasons why that can be in what in a in a female. Um, we will talk about different types and whatnot because there is no there is no such thing as just one type of PCOS. So and I guess the androgen symptoms or this excess of male pattern hormones in women can lead to a heap of symptoms that women will then experience. So looking at hair loss and you know male pattern baldness and acne is a big one um, and. It's for some women, weight gain and whatnot as well. So there's a lot of different symptoms that can go go in with it, but I think the main thing to know is that ovulation is impaired, so it's either not happening all the time, like every month as it should, um, or there's there's a um, there's cycles that you're having an ovulation. And I guess in terms of like if you want a proper like I guess we never diagnose as nutritionists, we can't do that. Um, we can say we think you've got PCOS, but to get a mm. I guess a formal diagnosis, you have to go to your GP or your medical professional, and they use something called the Rotterdam criteria, which is um, quite a widely accepted diagnostic criteria. So with this criteria, I don't love it, um, and I think it is try it is. There's talk of changing it at the moment, but this is currently how it stands. So there's these three main symptoms, and you've got to pick. You've got to pick. You've got to have two or three mm. of these main symptoms. You can have three as well, but one being um, oligo or anovulation. So basically, oligo ovulation means that you're not um, ovulating uh, every single month. It's it might be you're ovulating one month, and then you might have a couple of months of not ovulating. Therefore, maybe not even getting a period, um, and then you might ovulate again randomly, it is quite random, or you can ovulate every month, but it might be, oh, sorry, not every month, but you can ovulate regularly, I guess, but it might be just not your t typical 28, 30-day cycle. It might be 40 to 60-day cycles. Um, so that has to happen, a re irregular ovulation, essentially. Um, another one is hyperandrogenism, which is essentially mm -hmm. um, an increased amount of um, androgens, which are also known as you know male hormones, so we're talking testosterone as being the main one. And that is assessed by either one of two ways, either clinically, so looking at um, whether that person has acne or they have, you know, um, an increased amount of hair, um, either even like fine hair that's like quite dark or looking at hair in places that it shouldn't be for females, so, you know, um, on the, the moustache area or even 
you know, on the nipples and things like that, um, or biochemically looking at your testosterone levels, and that's usually by blood tests. However, there is issues there because sometimes that doesn't come up. Um, and then the other third criteria is polycystic ovaries via ultrasound. So you've got to have two of three of these. Um, <laughs> I think Carissa's doing something weird. Um, you've got to have two or three of three of these. So you could have, you know, um, impaired ovulation and you could have polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound, but you might not have a high testosterone or you can, could have any of the other combinations as well. But that's, I guess, that's called the Rotterdam criteria, and that's what your GP will use to diagnose you officially with PCOS. How many did you say that a GP wants to see off that actual category? Two of the three. Two of the three, yep, yep. yeah. It's interesting because some of, yeah, it's, I mean, I know we'll talk about this as we go through, but some of those particular um, categories that you mentioned can be driven by, other factors and I think this is something that'll come up as we go through as far as PCOS and um, other potential um, drivers or um, influences but um, yeah yeah we'll unpack that as we move through I'm sure yeah and that's when we get to I want to share my part of this because mine was and um, yeah not your typical PCOS and that's why I want to share it yeah okay Let's handball to Carissa. <laughs> Do you want to talk a bit about the symptoms that are associated with PCOS? I'm actually off my Skype screen, so I can't see her at the moment. That's right. Um, um, I think I think Em actually covered quite a few of them anyway. So, um, do you want to? Can I interrupt for a second? I'm going to put up my hand. <laughs> I wanted to say this the. The symptoms with PCOS, but but um, how they might differ as we start to look at something like hypothalamic amenorrhea and in that, giving a little bit of an explanation of, of the difference between the two. Yeah, cool. So I suppose it's probably with PCOS, it's well, obviously already mentioned some of the symptoms that and I think it is important, which is why I think Em's story is going to be interesting for people to hear, to hear that not everyone ticks the, what's it called, the Rotterdam scale, the Rotterdam you know, criteria for a start, but also that, you know, there's actually a lot more symptoms to PCOS and you don't actually, you will sometimes have some of these, mm. sometimes you'll have none of these and you can still have PCOS. And this is why proper testing is important and obviously testing quite a few different things. So I'm when it comes to PCOS, I'm, I'm a big person for just testing all the things. Like I like to see what, like from a, from a pathology and a um, pathology and, you know, um, testing point of view, what we can actually see, but then also from like, I guess, like a physical, physical and physiology point of view, what's actually going on for this person. So, so with PCOS, like from a testing point of view, we're going to be obviously looking at things that Em talked about. So obviously, you know, you've got your serum blood parameters. Um, there is pelvic ultrasounds to look for, obviously, cysts on the ovaries. I think another one that actually should be included in um, the PCOS testing criteria is AMH, which is your egg reserve, because quite often for people with PCOS, this can be very high. So normal normal AMH level for someone who's probably of, you know, a healthy reproductive age can be from anywhere, you know, 25 to maybe 30 or 20 to 30. Um, if we've got lower egg reserve, then that's usually something else going on there. But obviously, then we've got a higher egg reserve, like we're talking up around the 40s and 50s, even sometimes higher, I've seen it, and we're probably looking at that as another diagnostic tool for PCOS. Um, so we're obviously looking at high circulating hormones in the blood um, or high, your high testosterone, high DH, DHEA in the blood. 
Um, we can also be looking at high sex hormone binding globulin, depending on what the, that person is being treated for with PCOS. So if they're on the pill, sometimes you'll see that. Um, what else can we Do you want to talk a bit about the uh, sort of blood sugar and insulin yeah. component that might be something looked at in testing depending on what underlying yeah, drivers yeah. are there so if people if people are insulin resistant or have type 2 diabetes so from a pathology point of view you would see that in their in their bloods just with their fasting blood glucose um obviously then there can be further testing for that like glucose tolerance tests and stuff like that um so probably from just a stock standard pathology mm-hmm. point of view where that's what we'd be looking at in just serum bloods that a normal gp could run if they run if they ran very thorough bloods and then they'd also you know we'd also be looking at a pelvic ultrasound um and then from there from a symptom point of view like if the person was like physically sitting in front of us the things that we would be asking them about are the things that ends already covered mm-hmm. so we're chatting about like obviously hair loss and hair growth so you can have alopecia which is obviously thinning of the hair so females and males this can happen then we have can have hair growth for females so obviously in those more male androgenic areas which ends already covered as well um we can have cystic acne we don't have to have cystic acne but we can have cystic acne so that can quite often be on the cheeks the jawline the chest or the back or all of the above um, and then we obviously, then we can slip into some more like probably um, less common symptoms that are associated with PCOS. So insulin resistance being one of those. Um, is a, but I think it's interesting with insulin resistance because as Em will chat to you guys about, insulin resistance is, I'm going to say, probably present in maybe 50% of the people I see with PCOS. Would you mm-hmm. guys kind of agree? Is that an actual stat, is it? Yeah. Yeah. But is that a stat through like what goes through mainstream medicine yeah. or what we are? Yeah. And I reckon I would actually query that because I think there's a lot of um, misdi- yeah, misdiagnosed and undiagnosed PCOS that if someone doesn't tick the Rotterdam criteria, they're told, well, you don't have PCOS mm. and quite often is the case that they actually do. Yeah. So, or they've got some sort of other form of PCOS that exactly. isn't PCOS that isn't, you know, really included at the moment in the mainstream like medicine, you know, criteria. So. Yeah. So we've got that. Then we obviously talk about people's cycles. So Em was talking talking a lot about ovulation, but how that physically sort of presents for someone who's sitting in front of us is, yeah, like they they would be getting not that regular 28-day period. So if it's an anovulatory cycle, so what can often happen is sometimes these people are getting a, a 17-day cycle. So you can actually, with PCOS, sometimes to get a shorter cycle. I have seen that. More often than not, though, we see a longer cycle. So we're seeing someone who's probably clicking 35 days plus with a cycle and then sometimes even, you know, 60, 70 days without a period cycle. So how that differs from hypothalamic amenorrhea is probably the next thing yeah, yeah. you want me to cover, <laughs> is that hypothalamic amenorrhea is actually more an, an actual, like, shutdown um, or suppression of the hormones in general. So PCOS can be part of that so you can have hypothalamic amenorrhea and also have polycystic ovarian syndrome at the same time and because of whether it depending on the type of pcos that you have you can actually let's just say it's like inflammatory pcos where we've just got a lot of you know inflammation happening in the body whether it is due to insulin resistance or not sometimes that is tied into it you can actually just have a suppression of the hormones and that will actually induce what we call like ha or hypothalamic amenorrhea where there's actually just a, a shutdown of the crosstalk between the um, hypothalamus in the brain or the pitu- and the pituitary and how that actually chats to the rest of the hormones downstream and the adrenals. So you can have P- PCOS and HA together or you can just have HA and it has nothing to do with PCOS. And a lot of people will have H- like HA and not have PCOS, but that's a completely different ballpark and shouldn't be treated as PCOS. So then you're actually looking at the adrenal component, the stress component, 
why there's this crosstalk has been shut down mm. between obviously you know the brain and the goat the gonads. It doesn't sound right when you say gonads, <laughs> girls, does it? Like, <laughs> yeah, just say ovaries. Yeah. So you know, so for HA that has nothing to do with PCOS, so there's not some big inflammatory cystic, maybe insuliny sort of picture going on. You you've got some other sort of hormonal suppression, which is obviously a different ballpark when it comes to treating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cover that. That was awesome. Awesome. I'll give myself a thumbs up. (laughs) I think I think you've really between the two of you, you've really outlined a lot of those um, sort of different types of PCOS that we do tend to see. And I know Em, you even mentioned in regards to us making some points for today, that those different sort of classifications that you can look at within PCOS. So, yeah, Carissa, you just mentioned more about that inflammatory style of PCOS. Um, we've talked about insulin resistance type PCOS. Um, and there's there's sort of like a crossover of a few others. Like there's the post pill and there's more of an adrenal PCOS. So... I feel like we've kind of talked about some of those, but does maybe you, Em, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe how we can see that post-pill expression? Yeah, yep. Um, So post-pill PCOS may happen to some women when they have been on the pill. um, And generally they may have had quite regular periods before the pill, but they may have had um, symptoms like acne and that might be part of the reason why they've gone on the pill in the first place. Um, And so, yeah, it's always, we always ask clinically, you know, what was your cycle like before you went on the pill, even if that was 10 or 15 years ago, because it gives us an idea of uh, what's your kind of baseline with your hormones. Mm But essentially, the post-pill PCOS, it can happen when the pill is stopped. Um, Then for some women, there's still this kind of um, suppression of ovulation or it doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't click back into gear straight away. Um, And they can develop this increased amount of androgens post-pill, also depending on what pill it is, because there are some pills that differ in their amount of androgen versus estrogen um, or synthetic forms of those hormones and that can also play a role as well Um, but yeah some women will come off the pill and then they will not cycle back straight away in that next month and get a period they will have months of either not getting a period or they'll have random periods you know um, random cycles I should say so you know a couple of months um, being you know they might ovulate once and then they might ovulate again for a couple of months um, and so this is um, more of a yeah a pill induced PCOS. It usually, in terms of how much how long it might last. Um, oh look, again everyone's different, but it can last you know six months. It can last even longer. And I guess like for us, like you know as clinicians, we're trying to figure out what is the driver of this P- this person's PCOS. Mm. Are we looking at post pill PCOS only, or are we looking at Potentially, that's a driver as well as something else going on in the body. That's you know, that's post pill might have set it up, but then there might be other things that are driving that too. Sure. If it's just purely post pill, it will resolve itself. Um, it can take some time, but um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a thing. It's very real, and so with these women, um, there's certainly some nutritional and some yeah, some supplemental things that we can do to help get those ovaries back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess the real thing is. To mention here is that it might not be 
in terms of what's driving this PCOS, it's not potentially that insulin resistance that we, exactly. we see so commonly with PCOS or more commonly with PCOS. So it will be treated very differently, um, which just brings me back to the point of whenever someone presents with PCOS in any of our clinic rooms at, you know, at the JCN clinic, we are always trying to figure out what is causing this because if someone is uh, insulin resistant and we, we don't treat them in that way, then you're not going to get the results, right? Yeah. You've got to actually realize what is the underlying driver of that PCOS picture or drivers and treat them rather than just treat us, you know, um, looking at it from a purely insulin resistance point of view when that person may not have it. For sure, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think that would just sort of to finish off there and then I'd love to kind of for you to share your story more, but from those other underlying drivers, like we've really touched a lot already on inflammation and that that sort of inflammatory component or this, this sort of immune activation can come from so many factors. So in anyone that... Um, listens to the podcast regularly or knows us through JCN, it's obviously a a massive component of us looking at the complexity of how the body works in totality and how these different systems influence each other. So we need to also be very sort of respectful and insightful of digging into other forms of triggers. And those triggers can be internal or through um, the food that we're ingesting, whether they be coming from the gut and chronic activation of the immune system there. Um, obviously, that's always something that we're talking about. But there can also be this um, sort of stress activation too that we have to always acknowledge that can have a really profound effect on our adrenals and the sort of downflow of how that starts affecting our DHEA and then potentially inflammation there with our DHEAS. Then the other component that I see wrapped into that too with this space, which is a whole nother ball game, and I think we've talked about it maybe a little bit in with Paige, is the disordered eating um, potential background in these sort of conditions and then again that's not with everyone because we're we're sort of trying to highlight how there's a a web of different scenarios here and we're all individuals but often that is a profound stressor on the body on our hormones um and particularly and it's kind of it's it's i see it in this space because it's so kind of um wound up in such a stress directly on the adrenals, but also on obviously our our reproductive hormones as well. So I think there's actually a really big space. I don't know what the sort of statistics would be, and maybe I'm a bit biased because it's what I see more of in this space, but I think kind of um, that sort of stress of a disordered eating um, background tends to play into this a little bit too. And the reason I bring that up is I think sometimes um, this, the space of PCOS can also, one of the, maybe the symptoms I don't think we did mention particularly with the more classic presentation can sometimes be weight gain. And I think um, it's a confusing one where women might be like, well, that's not me because I don't have problems with my weight. Or they might've had like a history of actually, obviously with disordered eating with being underweight and it, it doesn't mean that there may not be some sort of dysregulation happening with your hormones or particularly with that HPA axis. So, yeah, I just um, wanted to kind of highlight that as well. Um, but I think it's with the disordered eating space or even like if we're going as far as like into the – like there's disordered eating and then there's obviously like 
like anorexia, like nervosa, like in any of those like areas where women do become underweight, you know, androgens naturally become the dominant hormone. So you, it's basically setting a female up for potential PCOS the minute you drop your estrogen. Yeah, that that's a good low. point. So because obviously ovulation stops because the body's stressed out, estrogen drops because there's no body fat. So if there's no body fat, the body stops making estrogen. Um, and then obviously androgens naturally just become the dominant hormone. And you will see this with women who have actually had severe anorexia or have been underweight for quite a period of time, you will see, you can see, it might not be dark hair growth, but naturally mm. they're, it's, 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 an, it's, it's just a classic symptom. They're more hairy as a female, yeah. like without like saying that in a horrible way. Or anything, no, it's but true. You see, they'll get like, they'll get fine wispy hairs on their face. You'll see it on the tops of their arms. You'll see it in those really classic PCOS spaces that typically for a woman who probably hadn't had any sort of disordered eating, she would get the darker hair growth in those areas. But when we're talking about usually more um, disordered eating and, and anorexia and stuff like that, where androgens have become the dominant hormone just through to sheer stress and lack of any other hormone production, um, you'll start to see those more classic signs of, you know, androgens in it just for a completely different reason. So mm, Yeah, no, that's really good point. Really, really good point. M, do you want to share a bit about your experience because I think that sort of starts to pull a lot of this together and we can kind of start to look at where that fits with um, different sorts of ways of treatment with PCOS. Well, I think, um, yeah, to be honest, the whole, the PCOS, the way that it's viewed, can I get this off my chest first? It's a bugger of mine. Um, and you'll see as I explain my story, but PCOS, when it is treated purely from the medical point of view, they treat it as 100% insulin resistant. Mm-hmm. So they, if you've got PCOS, and I'm, as I'm going through my pregnancy, um, I have been treated like I've got insulin resistance, but I don't um, because I've had this you know, di- official diagnosis of PCOS from my GP, um, but I've actually got no insulin resistance. My PCOS... So it's driven by a couple of other factors, which they do not recognize. So it's just, they're telling me that I'm a high risk of gestational diabetes and all these things that I'm like, oh, but I'm not, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and anyway, so that's a bit of a, a bugbear for my, I think that my case, um, just going back a couple of years, my, my periods were, you know, a bit irregular. So I've ticked that box. Um, I would go probably between 35 to 50 day cycles. So some of them were probably um, definitely anovulatory, um, but but I'm I, you know as as time went on I was pretty clued in as to when I was ovulating. So I, I generally would ovulate, um, but it was a little bit later. So or I would try my body would try and ovulate. So in terms of looking at the ovulation symptoms of just how do you know that you're ovulating, which a lot of women actually don't know, but looking one of them is um, looking at cervical mucus and how that changes. So getting that egg white type mucus. In PCOS, it's really common to have that present itself across the cycle a few times because your body's trying to gear up to ovulate, but then it won't actually happen because you've got underdeveloped follicles, which are not mature enough to be then popped off and actually ovulate with that with that um, with that egg. So you've got many many under um, you know immature eggs basically sitting there, and that's what creates those that cystic type of picture. Um, so you you've got all of those, and that's. And so I would gear up to ovulate and I would have that discharge and then I would have it again in a week and then maybe another time during that same cycle. 
So I actually was, was like, oh, I don't know when I'm ovulating because I feel like my body's trying to ovulate, but then it wouldn't actually do so until I started taking my temperature a little bit more and then I would see more of a clear pattern there. So that's, I guess, a, a, a much more accurate way. Um, but yeah, so my cycles were like that for a few years. Um, and I always kind of knew that there was probably like I knew there was dysfunction there, but obviously then when I tried, when I started to think about fertility, I was like, right, I really need to get this sorted because I need to know when I'm ovulating more, a little bit more so that I can time, you know, um, time the intercourse <laughs> so that I can get pregnant. Um, and that's when I guess in the last kind of 12 to 18 months for me, I've also then had my implants out. So, you know, for those that some people will know, some won't, um, over the last, yeah, I got my implants, my breast implants out last year. And I think for me, especially last year, they were a major form for a long time um, of immune activation for my body. So I had serious gut issues, which I've, I worked through with Jess and um, they were pretty severe. I, can, I still reckon my test is one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, so I kind of worked through all that and, and did all the gut stuff and I had, I had lots of chronic fatigue issues and whatnot. But then eventually I got my, I had a, a constant immune activation. I was constantly inflamed. So I got my implants out and I think that that was the big driver for me personally. Obviously not everyone's going to have this, um, but that was the big immune activation that was happening constantly in my body that my body was trying to uh, trying to work at but it was just never it was never it could never win because these things were in my body and um, as time went on it got worse and worse so I think for me part of my PCOS picture was an inflammatory type because of this constant immune um, activation that my body was dealing with and therefore I was getting symptoms like this chronic fatigue picture and extreme tiredness and fatigue and all that um, but in terms of then my when I kind of looked into it a bit further say after I got my implants out I was like right we want a full pregnant this year I really need to get to the bottom of what is driving these irregular cycles I did more more testing and interestingly for me yes I don't I, I, I ticked the you know um, irregular cycles box and I also ticked the um, the polycystic ovaries because I had a I had a an ultrasound which revealed over 20 um, cysts or you know undeveloped follicles on each ovary so based off that, my GP said, well, yeah, you've got PCOS, but I did not have elevated androgens. Um, and so I had testosterone tested. That was fine. And then I went further and did a Dutch test. Um, so for those that don't know what a Dutch test is, it's a um, it's a hormone test that we use a lot in the clinic and it's a urine test. So um, it measures your hormones, but in a much um, more thorough way. And so it measures testosterone, which my testosterone came back completely normal with that. My DHEA, um, which is part of that androgenic picture, was it was like probably normal to a little bit high, but it was definitely not off the chain at all. Um, I had a couple of it also shows your metabolites of testosterone, and I had one type, your um, beta type metabolite, which was a, a little bit high, but your um, your alpha, which was your main, your more androgenic type, was not high at all. So really, I thought my androgen was going to come back really elevated and high, but they didn't which was really interesting for me. And so I was like, well, actually, I don't take that picture of that androgen, that really high androgen um, amount circulating in my body. So for me, I, I went back and my GP's like, yep, you've got PCOS. And in terms of fertility, she said, I'll never forget it. She said, you, well, well you know, in our world, Emma, that's easy because she knows what I do. She goes, you, um, you just take Clomid to get <laughs> ovulation happening regularly. And I said, yeah, but I'm not going to do that because my, like, personally, I don't feel comfortable with that because there's a reason why I'm not ovulating regularly. Um, I know I am ovulating, but, um, you know, I want to make sure that when I do ovulate, that egg that's being released is ready to 
meat with a sperm and bloody become an embryo. And, you know, mm. if, if my body's not doing that, there is a reason for that. So let's try and figure out what that is and so and work on my equality and try and get my cycles to a more normal level. Um, and I would like to do that by myself, you know, do what I do. And she said, yep, cool, um, you know, come back. Uh, if you if by the end of the year you haven't conceived, then come back. And so off we went. I went, yeah, had had this ultrasound beforehand. I'll never forget that lady saying, yeah, there's no way that you'll be able to conceive naturally. You're going to have to go with um, assisted reproductive um, medicine. You're going to have to do Clomid. Um, and I said to her, knowing the answer already, but I just wanted to see what she said. She, I said, so do you think there's any chance I can conceive naturally? And she said, it's a very, very, very small possibility. Wow. And I'll never forget that. And I just said, you know, like in my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm grateful that I know what I know about this. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm just going to have to work hard. And basically, I talk the talk. I've got to walk the walk. I've got to do the things that I would normally do with someone who presents in the clinic with my picture. Um, and I just said, I just thought, God, that's, it's just so, um, I think I even had a bit of a cry just because she was so... Mm. I don't know, just so damning to me. And she was just like, oh, well, it is, this is this is what you've got to go through and you've got no other choice. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like it's so scary. And she also, I just... And you've actually got a good GP, and Do you know what I mean? Like, Well, that like, wasn't my GP. That was my, that was the ultrasound. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. My GP. Um, my GP was much better. She was, yeah, she understood. Yeah. But that was a radiologist and she was just, didn't know me from Bar of Soap, but she said, mm. based on your history and back, and I know she's just doing her job, like that's just how they view it. Um, but she was just like, yeah, based on your history, there's no way that you're ovulating regularly with those ovaries. Um, you're going to have to take Clomid to, um, to, yeah, for ovulation to happen. And I just, I just put my foot down and said, nah. Mm. But you know, the fact that she was like, yeah, you're not going to ovulate, you're not going to conceive naturally. I was like, okay, well, you just watch me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the other thing to mention here was that. Um, my with part of my Dutch test, I think the other part of my PCOS driver was my Dutch test revealed my cortisol. So all of my cortisol metabolites um, and my 24-hour cortisol production, which is measured on the Dutch test, was severely low. So I think from um, an adrenal point of view, <laughs> from an adrenal point of view, um, that was part of my picture too. So I, mm. my body was literally, it was flatlining. Like my production of cortisol was so low, and I just had nothing in the tank, and my body could not, my poor body could just not produce anything mm. so for me the way that i had to treat this was well get rid of the inflammation which i think i'd done with the with the breast implants being removed and then for me it was a really adrenal based treatment plan using mm. lots of herbs lots of lifestyle stuff and nutrients like used lots of nutrients for egg quality and whatnot um chris has put her hand up what would you like to say <laughs> oh, no, i was just putting my hand up so jess and i could agree with you with the quarters picture <laughs> do you know what i I'd like to say, though, in regards to that is and this is so important as far as time that these things take and just our expectations of just wanting answers straight away and results straight away, which we see in clinic all the time. But for you, Em, even like when you got that test back, you were quite shocked at your cortisol levels because you had you know put in a big year if there was a lot of work leading up prior to that test years before but particularly that year leading up before that test you'd had such a a really good positive year with your health um you'd made a lot of changes obviously the the implant actually i'm with the time frame of where your implants sit with that i think you'd had your implants out and you'd done a lot of anti-inflammatory work so there was an expectation you were just like ready to have these 
um, results really show that your levels were sitting at a relatively good point. And I think it was a shock to you to see what the F is going on here. But I, I kind of highlight that because I think women and whether it's to do with this in particular with hormones, but across the board, it takes it takes time, like all of the things which, which we'll get to and you're talking about to start to rebuild and nurture and support hormones. There is time that this takes. So, you know, I think that test with in some regards was actually really good for you as well to sort oh, of see that. 100%. Yeah. And this goes to show, I think we've all had this experience with our own clients. Yeah. I always have a, um, in my mind before I send someone for a gut test, I always... Or say a stool test, you always think, okay, this is what I think is going on. Mm-hmm. But then you do the test and it comes back. And sometimes it's literally the opposite of what you thought. Yeah. Because hormones can actually, if you've got increases or decreases of them, um, then they can sometimes present very similarly. Mm-hmm. But I remember with that, okay, I, I remember I, um, I, I was feeling quite good from an energy point of view um, <laughs> when I had that test done. I remember I was like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, like way better than what I previously <laughs> felt in my life. And it still comes back literally. There's no increase in cortisol across the day. It was flatlining below, you know. And I remember um, seeing it and being like, oh, my goodness. Wow, this is still really an issue. And so mm. I just thought, well, my body doesn't feel safe. And it's not. It just mm. needs to be recharged, for, you know, um, so that I can actually get some get up and go. And, and I think that a huge part of my issue with my um, irregular cycles was that my poor body, body was just not it just didn't have enough in the tank to um, to have regular cycles to be able to then conceive naturally mm-hmm. um, at that point. And so I just had to take a really big step back. But even as a practitioner, I remember I went through my results with one of our practice consultants from, from RN Labs mm-hmm. and just to double check everything that um, what I thought was going on and I interpreted it all, all, all okay, um, fine. And she said to me, Emma, with these cortisol results, like what are you doing exercise-wise? And I was doing um, a little bit of training because we know that I do love my training I was morning and I was um I was doing some weight-based stuff and then a little bit of like conditioning work so higher intensity stuff but really like 10 20 minutes max per Mm. per session and she goes nah I wouldn't even be doing that she's Mm. like I would literally be walking yoga parties that is it I would not even be doing what you're doing and I remember being like yeah but I feel pretty good and then I thought to myself, actually, if the tables were turned and I, I saw a client mm. with this level of um, cortisol, I would be telling them the exact same thing. I just can't. I just need to apply it to myself. And I remember that was such a big light bulb moment for me and going, oh, my God, Emma, you've got to treat this like you would treat. You've got to take your own advice. Mm-hmm. So you've got to really pull back the exercise. And that was a major thing, I think, that what I had to do, which was hard, but it absolutely worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. And I think, yeah, that that sort of highlights sort of stepping into that space as far as treatment in this area and how absolutely diverse it is <laughs> because, yeah, there's all these different components that we've talked about and all these different potential drivers. So really understanding your potential case and your drivers and, and as always, I think testing becomes so important in this area um there's so much i think as you said chrissy you can tell even from just general pathology that can be really useful but layering as you did and the dutch on top can be so valuable um for understanding i guess you know of course that sort of androgen pathway but that information that we can get from the adrenals can be 
quite profound as far as how I think, you know, we sort of go about treatment and where we know we kind of need to put the most emphasis because it's as always is there's all these different factors influencing each other. We sort of always do that diagram in our heads with our clients. Um, but we're always trying to dig to that core. It's like, okay, where's the core area? Where do I need to put my focus? And in your case, it was that obviously there was that chronic um, immune activation, which you had been dealing with, but fundamentally it was like, I actually need to rebuild my, um, my adrenals. Like I have to kind of refill this pool. I think I remember talking to you at the time about the old, the old pool analogy. (laughs) It's, but that's going to differ so much um, from perhaps the next person. So um, do you, maybe I'll handball it to you, Krista, because we've, we've um not had your hand go up for a while so <laughs> and we might <laughs> but... I've come back in like I just ducked out and I came back in and I'm like I think I know where you guys yeah, are so... at but... <laughs> do you want to maybe start to just I mean we'll start to wrap this up but I wanted to obviously end with talking about treatment and we've you know yeah. I definitely think the the testing is so important as part of getting the picture around the way that treatment picture goes in unison with understanding that client and their case history and symptom presentation. But do you want to speak a little bit to treatment and how um, obviously yep. that's going to differ depending on whether we're dealing with an insulin situation or not? Yep. So, yeah, I'll, like I, I did come in just back in at the end there and I think, yeah, like I typically with most of my clients with PCOS have, have layered all of the testing, like similar to what M has done herself. So done all of the pathology testing and exhausted everything I can get through the GPs as well as done the ultrasound. So it's the first part about treatment is actually getting the right understanding and the right picture of what's going on for this person. So you've done a physical assessment. You've got an idea of the underlying pathophysiology of what's going on through bloods. I will... If it's obviously affordable for my clients and most of them are so happy to do it, we'll do a Dutch test on top of that. Um, And and then obviously, I think I said before, like physical actual, you know, analysis of the person as well. So, and dietary analysis, which we obviously cover in our consults. So, so when I've got a really good idea of what's going on with my clients and what their drivers are of PCOS, then yeah, it's popping together like obviously, you know, like a a hormone and health management plan for them that obviously, you know, they can lay out over the next, I I usually say three months as as a starting point. Mm. Sometimes obviously it's longer, sometimes people get amazing results. But three parts minimum, three months minimum. I'm just going to put out. There's usually six months um, for hormones. There's a bit of a ballpark. Just yep. Just, <laughs> well, ends up putting your hand up at six months. But like, like you put so much work in, mate. Even before you did that yeah, six months of hormone work. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think we talk about in the clinic all the time. Like the expectations of people thinking that health is just an open and closed book, and they're going to come and see us. We're going to fix them in eight weeks, and it's it's just not the case. Like mm-hmm. when you're going through, when you've got chronic stuff, like let's just use M as our prime example. <laughs> We've got gut, adrenal, and hormonal stuff going on. And like, how long have you worked at the clinic? M three years. Yeah, three and a yeah. half. Three and a half years. So I know for three years you have been hardcore working yeah, on your health. That's so to true. To get to this stage where you are now pregnant. Do you know what I mean? So just as a ballpark for everyone, and Em's obviously got the knowledge. She's been fit and healthy, you know, way before she came and worked through the clinic. So she didn't come in as someone who was an unhealthy person. She came in as someone who was healthy and then wanted to better her own situation with the end result of obviously, you know, her falling pregnant naturally, which she's done. And that's, you know, but that's a lot of hard work. So just ballpark for people with the work that you have to do. But anyway, I'll get back on topic. So <laughs> <laughs> just my little rant. It's no, important, important point though. Mm. I think yeah. 
people do think that, and I've had a few clients lately who I just have to, have had to. We we need to discuss time expectation. Time, time expectation, yeah. I think, is really big. And I know, like we've said this a lot of time, people come in for hormones, and I'm like, okay, we need to fix your gut first, mate. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even tap into your hormones until I get this gut situation sorted. Anyway. So depending on what we're doing, first thing and foremost thing is obviously getting these meals sorted. Whether you've got insulin resistance or not, cortisol management, insulin management is so important. That comes back to your meals, how you're eating, your macros, what you're doing and your timing of your meals. And that is so important for Mm. any sort of inflammatory or insulin management uh, and cortisol management across the board. So We've got a whole 20 million podcasts on macronutrient balance, so I'm not going to talk about that, but feel free to go and listen to those. Jess will pop them in the show notes. <laughs> don't oh, shit, write it down. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Everyone knows No, I will. Are. I will, people. I will. <laughs> um, so macro balance is obviously super important. So is the type of foods that you're eating. You want to be eating foods for your hormones. I'm, I love, I'm a big person. Like I spend a lot of time talking to my clients about foods that are important for liver health. So just while we're mm. on the food topic, foods that are important for liver health and liver detoxifications, amino acids, um, all of your beautiful green leafy vegetables, your anti-inflammatory oils and your anti-inflammatory foods. So beautiful, bright colored foods are obviously so rich. Like you've got your polyphenols, you've got your antioxidants, you've got your oily fish, so you, um, oily fish and your omegas are amazing for your hormones. So just even from a food perspective, like I spend a lot of time with my clients just making sure their diet is balanced and nutrient antioxidant dense. So mm-hmm. good, focus on good quality fats. Um, collagen is also awesome, like especially if we're talking about skin stuff, like any sort of PCOS. So even before I go down the supplement route, I'm like, okay, is your diet, you know, rich in, you know, broths and carcasses? If you're not eating meat, would you take a collagen? Like if you're a vegetarian, would you take a bone-based collagen? Or if you're not going to take a bone-based collagen, let's find you a good marine collagen. How open to you are you? How open to taking a fish oil are you? If you're not open to taking a fish oil, can we get you on a good algae oil? So even just from like a, a diet point of view, like there's a lot that goes into that with um, PCOS management and just hormone management across the board. Um, the macronutrient balancing is super mm. important. From there, we then step into the supplement space. Um, and obviously, again, supplements are like, I'm going to say for PCOS, like there's, I obviously have my few that I love that I'm not going to mention, but <laughs> like, but obviously like it's also crucial that when you're supporting PCOS, it's understanding the type of PCOS that you're treating and then designing your supplement regime around that. Like some people, obviously when they come into the clinic, I can tell straight away they need to be on X, Y, and Z mm. even before we do a Dutch test. So I'm like, let's get you started on this and let's do a Dutch test. But it's also like, you know, there's certain things too. Then the Dutch test comes back and we're like, okay, now we need to add in this or we need to make up this compound for you or something like that. So supplements play a a very important role in the treatment of PCOS, especially if we're dealing with um, any sort of androgen excess because there's a lot you can do with diet and liver support, but there's also a shit ton you can do with Mm, the right supplements coupled with a nice, a really good anti-inflammatory macro balanced diet. The other big thing is that I really, with PCOS and any hormone stuff, and I know you girls are exactly the same, is liver and gut. Mm. This is the other two primary areas of androgen detoxification is that liver has to be functioning optimally and this gut has to be functioning optimally as well. So part of my treatment protocol and part of, you know, you guys are exactly the same, but part of our treatment also um, and diagnosis also is assessing your liver function and assessing your gut function. And then if there needs to be supplemental interventions for that, we talk about that and implement those as well mm-hmm. another big thing i spend um talking to my clients about especially after doing a dutch test and looking at their cortisol is lifestyle um and 
lifestyle and <laughs> interventions, and we have a big chat about that. So implementing some sort of downtime, looking at your stress response, how to regulate your stress response, when do you get downtime during the day, um, how well do you sleep, because sleep is obviously so important for this, you know, especially if we're talking about an inflammatory style picture, um, but sleep is so important for, you know, how your hormones function and um, PCOS as well. So I go into all of that with my clients. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's epic. Like, and yeah, from exactly. I think the cool thing about the Dutch test in PCOS or any hormone picture, same as what M was, I know I just came back in at the end there, but what M was saying is that you can tell a person what type of things they need to be doing. I've got my clients and I'm like, yep, yeah, you've, got, you've got PCOS, but I'm so cool for you to go and do four strength training sessions a week at the moment because that's cool. Your, your cortisol mm. will handle that. It's not going to mm. create more of an inflammatory state in your body. Go for gold. But then I have my clients that come back like M and I'm like, don't you do anything more than a brisk freaking walk. Like, exactly. <laughs> I do. Because, you know, like then we're kind of pushing into that. A lot of people are over-exercising, do you know what I mean, adding to their inflammatory response that's actually, you know, driving their PCOS and they don't want to back off their exercise. And I'm like, you need to because mm-hmm. part of this big inflammatory picture is this excessive exercise. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's why the Dutch test is so cool because you get not only hormones, you get how their cortisol exactly. is actually behaving and responding in response to their lifestyle choices. So, yeah, and it really highlights as usual. <laughs> and I know what you've just explained is just the absolute comprehensive nature of how we would approach any condition. But even in in light of today, and I know you mentioned it, M, from a mainstream management of something like this, where there's no really diving into diet or thinking about how diet may be playing a role there's, there's no conversations about stress management and it's just, okay, let's just throw you on some medication. Let's, um, yeah. you know, whether it's from, I mean, obviously you talked about Clomid through to but metformin and it's just, or let's regulate you with the pill, like whatever it might be. There's, there's no, I've got, okay, guys, I have both of them with their hands up at the moment. <laughs> Did you guys cover metformin? No. Oh, okay, cool. Cause I was going to say, like, I know metformin's used for insulin resistant PCOS, but yeah. have you guys seen a whole heap of clients that when they come and see you, they don't have insulin resistance and they've been put on fucking metformin anyway? What That's the what fuck? I mean about that <laughs> language warning. No, put that on. Um, <laughs> I think also, as I was saying right at the start, it comes down to this sort of criteria that people are being diagnosed on and it's just like, oh, yep, PCOS, yep, and just this complete straight away it's an insulin issue. And yes, as you said, M, there is a very large percentage of PCOS that fall into that category, but there's also a percentage, a significant percentage that don't. And oh, I just, it makes my blood boil as usual as far as that mismanagement. And if there was and is this insulin component, then why aren't we working with the absolute foundations of beautiful macronutrient balance and regulating blood sugars and looking at the right portions of carbohydrates with proteins and fats and all of the things that Carissa was just highlighting, which are just so vital, let alone nutrients and herbs that we can use to support (laughs) better um, glucose regulation. Like it's, you know, to us, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, And it as always just highlights how we are going in, looking at things on that individual level. And as a result, you can get really 
well, to, I guess, to others might seem like really like, oh my God, this is amazing, profound outcomes. But to us, it's like, yeah, well, this makes sense because we're treating the core issue. We're treating these core drivers. Yeah. In terms of outcomes, I guess I just wanted to pop in there. Well, I just want to say two things, actually, before outcomes. In terms of medical management of PCOS, what you will typically get is if you're not trying to conceive or not wanting to get pregnant anytime soon and you've got PCOS, you'll be popped on the oral contraceptive pill um, to to regulate, and I say that in inverted commas, your cycle, um, but essentially that can be long-term making things worse, especially if it is more of like an androgenic type pill, which can lead to post-pill PCOS and then further issues with androgens once you come off that. So it's really a band-aid solution it's it's not really doing anything it's not going to regulate your cycle we know that when you go on the pill all of your hormones basically come offline so you're not ovulating at all so when you come off the pill it's more than likely that you're going to have those issues that's what's going to happen if you don't want to fall pregnant and you get diagnosed with pcos you probably will be put put, put on metformin too if there is an insulin resistance picture or even if there isn't because that's what you know most doctors will say you yep you that's the treatment for pcos um, if you do want to fall pregnant, there's it's usually metformin as well. Um, but obviously, you come off the pill, and you, yeah, they put you on uh, Clomid. Um, not sometimes not as a first line; they'll do other things before. Usually, metformin for a little while. Um, but essentially, it, there's no talk, as you said, Jess, about diet and 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 managing insulin resistance with that, or even whatever else might be coming up. Um, and I said to my doctor, like I did chat to her and say, look, I've done these hormonal tests and I know that it's not insulin resistance. I've had pathology to show that my insulin levels are not uh, are fine mm. <laughs> um, and my blood glucose and all that is fine um, and it's not, it, it, that's not the driver here. Um, and when I actually did fall pregnant and I, so it took us about, yeah, five, six months of trying, which for me was a really long time because I'm so impatient um, and I definitely <laughs> had some tantrums in the clinic with Carissa there, um, me being, and I actually had my biggest tantrum when I actually was pregnant. I didn't realize, That's right. but I had, like, I had a tantrum and I cried and I said to Carissa, why, aren't, why, why am I not pregnant yet? And I actually was. Um, but anyway, aside from that, in terms of like what, what the outcomes are that we're looking at with PCOS is like, so we can actually measure these outcomes. For me, it was my cycle was getting shorter and shorter. So my cycle was more um, pushing around that yeah, 30, 35 day mark. So it was, it was generally over a six-month period coming down, which was showing that I was ovulating more frequently as I worked on all these things, um, which was obviously a good sign. And then the big one was I did conceive. You can conceive with PCOS even if you do have random cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little bit harder, I guess. But for me also, when I went for my six-week ultrasound or dating scan when I was pregnant, my ovaries had no huge amount of um, cysts on them anymore. Mm. And I took that back to, which was very, it's literally the opposite of what I had in February. So I think it was mm. about five months between those ultrasounds. And so I took that back to my GP and she goes, how, how did you do this? Mm. I don't understand how you literally got those ovaries looking back to normal. Um, and huh. I said, well, I just did what I normally would do with my clients. I used lifestyle diet. My diet was pretty much the same anyway. Um, but then I used a lot of, yeah, for, for me it was very, um, I used a lot of herbs with my adrenals. Um, but I, I used a combo of all these things and that's what created this change. Mm-hmm. Um, and also then for women who, depending on what else is driving their PCOS, they will, they'll start to get regular ovulation, their yeah. cysts will start to disappear, their acne will start to decrease, yep. they'll start to lose weight. All of these things that really, or these symptoms that are a result of the driving factor behind PCOS 
all of them will start to decrease. But that's going to take time. Hmm. And usually, I, I say, yeah, same for you, Chrissa, but usually six months is my ballpark just because hormones, they work slowly, even six to 12 months. Yeah, um, I agree. So, the biggest thing I want to just emphasize here for anyone who is in the triangle conceived spot right now, um, because obviously this is my experience lately and I've had a lot of interaction with people on my social media after announcing I'm pregnant and I wanted to ch- share this story because if you are trying to conceive and you've had any issues or you have an inclination that you may have issues and you are, say, on the marine or on the pill or whatever, or your cycles are irregular or whatever it might be, you need to you need to start to work on that a good 12 months I would say, before you want to actually start to conceive. There are so many women that come into us and they say, I want to conceive like within the next couple of months, but they've got all these issues happening and it just is not, if they want to do it naturally, it's just mm-hmm. probably not going to happen. So I would say always be on the front foot with this and try to um, try to set yourself up really well from a hormonal perspective, but a nutrient perspective and all of that well before you do actually want to try to conceive. That would be my, my advice out of this whole podcast is, <laughs> Don't just expect to conceive straight away, um, especially if you've definitely if you've got a hormonal issue um, like what we've been talking about. Yeah. yeah, good advice. Really good advice. Is there anything else that either of you wanted to add before we wrap this up? Um, no, I think that kind of covers it. Like I think, yeah, op- yeah, just basically that. I think that kind of yeah covers most of it. PCOS, I think, a hundred percent is not um, and anti-fertility diagnosis yeah. I think is probably a big take home like it's different and it depends on the hormone space that you kind of work in like personally it's interesting like I don't advertise that I work in fertility but because I work so much with true, hormones and we true, all true. do we actually actively work in a lot of preconception spaces yeah um and my goal obviously like I've got a lot of clients that are you know prepping their bodies to fall pregnant or mm-hmm. like are in you know the preconception space and we're doing a lot of amazing work and sometimes it's with PCOS sometimes it's just with general health and or estrogen and all the things but like my end goal for all my clients with hormones pregnancy or not is that they just have healthy functioning hormones and for a lot of my PCOS clients like similar to Emma's story is and it's, I think yeah it's just not something we advertise a lot because for us we just know that PCOS is something you know that that is manageable and you know in inverted commas like I'm going to say curable you know with the right with the right treatment and the right you know interventions and yeah. I just think yeah and I just think it's probably I think there's a lot of people that have PCOS that just don't know that they probably have been told similar to you and if you didn't have your your background and your knowledge that you know you know you're going to really struggle to fall pregnant um, or this is something you're just going to have to live with for the rest of your life so here's here go on the pill or take mm-hmm. metformin or something like that and I think the big take home is is that yeah like there's there's just so much we can do. And I've had so many clients, like, different story but similar outcome to ends where they've either, yeah, they've become, they've fallen pregnant if that was their goal or the goal is that, yeah, their skin's cleared up or they've had mm. another ultrasound those cysts aren't on their ovaries anymore. And, you know, so there's just, there's, for me, like, that is amazing. And I think that, yeah, it's probably something we don't talk about a lot, but now we bloody have <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so much that we can do. And I think, actually, you've both just highlighted the, the, the point that it kind of cover it's from it's twofold like it's not um it's not saying that there is no chance of fertility when when there is these sort of diagnosis that are given whether it be what we're talking about today or often with some other um kind of common hormonal conditions i think there's often like this diagnosis that's given and then this um really quite negative (laughs) 
uh, feedback about where your future lies as far as usually your fertility. But that is definitely, it's an important part of this picture. But the other that you just highlighted, Chris, is um, it's even though fertility is highly important, not every woman wants to fall pregnant, but that doesn't mean that having a healthy cycle and healthy hormones isn't vitally important because all of this is so intertwined with our overall well-being and is an expression of what's going also telling us each month what's going on internally so it's it's so important no matter which way as a woman you're planning on going but yeah i can't obviously thank you as usual enough em for sharing your personal story as you're so it's so done so many times along the way um, and I'm sure for people who listen to the show regularly, it'd be really fascinating to hear um, over particularly the last sort of year to 18 months, your um, journey through this. And I would, and I'll pop it in the show notes too. I will, I will, I will. <laughs> Just the episodes with you in regards to your implants, because it's it's pretty fascinating to, I imagine, for listeners to go back and to listen to the the sort of story around that and the lead up around that and then to sort of listening to today so it's pretty fascinating and it's just freaking awesome now that you're sitting there with that rock and bump <laughs> yeah that, eight, that 18 week bump yep. I, I look less um jess you probably haven't seen me but i look less in that awkward stage of like just looking a bit fat or bloated and more pregnant now so I'm happy yeah because yeah, even in just not seeing you for a couple of weeks I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks because obviously you know I was I was off last week and then sometimes we're just not in the same days but you definitely look knocked up now she's popped yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not just like she's had too many um zucchini fries from grilled <laughs> Okay, thank you so much, everyone, for joining. And obviously, this episode may have raised a lot of questions. So the best way to get a hold of us uh, is probably through our socials. So you can DM any of us. Um, You can just head again to the show notes if there's the handles for myself, Carissa and M. So DM us. You can contact the clinic as well. And I think this particular episode is so important for women to be listening to so we would love it if you would share it in your socials too um, and just let other people know that it is there but thanks heaps for joining and we will chat to you next time bye guys see you guys bye